You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and we have got to talk about this outrageous murder case out of Wisconsin. Now, this is the kind of case that I'm going to tell you about, and the whole time you're going to be saying, Mama Jules, you're making that up, but I'm not. And a mother is mourning the loss of her son, allegedly at the hands of a dangerous and unmanageable woman. So let's start at the beginning. Taylor Shabiznis. Yep, that's her real name. Taylor Shabiznis changed her name from Taylor Denise Coronado in 2018. Now, Ms. Shabiznis, who is 24 years old, is kind of a bit of a nomad, lived a, a very challenging life. She's lived in San Antonio, Houston, Temple and Contula, Texas, and in Suamico, Wisconsin, all of that before finally landing in Green Bay. Now, her Facebook page bio information says the following, family over everything, with the lips emoji and the smiling heart face emoji and the 100 symbol before and after that phrase. Then the next line reads, Warren Taylor Mateo. Now, Warren's Taylor's husband, and you need to remember that part. She is married. And then Mateo is her son. And then in all capitals, it reads, Shabiznis Way, with the words being flanked by the money bag emojis. Now, Taylor's husband, Warren Shabiznis, is actually Warren Shabau, and he has been in prison on federal charges of drug trafficking, and he's expected to be released later this year. Now, in a Facebook post from prison, Warren says he was railroaded and that he beat a charge of conspiracy to distribute meth and pled to a possession with intent to deliver charge, saying it was the best deal he could get. Warren was committed enough to Taylor to tattoo her name on his neck, but maybe he wasn't too committed because Taylor, in a Facebook post, talks about how she got hitched to show commitment but they turn around and they F on you. So later that month, she also posted this phrase, 
double-crossed my loyalty. That's one thing you'll never get back. Let's play. Well, while Warren has been incarcerated, it seems like Taylor decided to play around a bit. Her two-year-old son was living with Warren's parents in Texas, and Taylor, still using drugs, began a relationship with 25-year-old Shad Thyrion. Now, this relationship appears to be mostly about drug use and sex, and those two things, well, they collided on February 23rd of this year. In a drug-fueled sexual romp, Taylor and Shad took things too far when Shad wrapped a chain around his neck to enhance sexual pleasure, and then Taylor strangled Shad. Now, at 3.25 a.m., police say Shad's mother entered the basement after hearing the storm door slam shut. And directly at the bottom of the basement stairs, Shad's mother, Tara, finds Shad's severed head in a bucket that's been covered by a towel. Now, Shad's mother, Tara, her boyfriend calls 911, where the operator can hear Shad's mom saying she is pretty positive she just found her son's head in a bucket. Now, let's just listen to part of that 911 call. Okay, tell me what's happening there again. I have no clue what's happening with my girl. Swears that she's found her severed head of her son in the basement. Did you go down there? In a bucket. I went down, I can't tell what the fuck is. I just part of my language. I'm kind of a little freaked out. Okay, did she just wake up and say that? Yeah. And who is, who, who, whose head is it? She's claiming it's her son. How old is her son? 24, 20, 25. Has he been missing or? No, yeah, he was here yesterday with some chick and then now all of a sudden nobody's here. And she came up to use the restroom a couple times. And she keeps calling and calling. And now she's saying that she hears the phone down there, too. Okay. Is she with you right now? Yes. I won't. Yeah, she's upstairs. She's a little freaked out. And I don't know what to do. Okay. All right. Get in line. And um, you said you went down there, correct? Yeah. And I went to the hole, but I can't, I, I can't see very well. And I can't tell what the hell it is. So there's something in the bucket. There's something in the got there's something in the goddamn bucket there. If she won't work again, I, I, I don't know what the hell, man. Do you think she's hallucinating, or do you think that... I don't think so. I went down and there's something in the damn bucket. <laughs> and I, I can't, I, I don't know, man. And she's a little freaked out. And All right, can I talk to her? Yes, you can. Hello? Hi, Tara. So can you tell me what's going on? Are you positive Now, police immediately dispatched to both Shad's home and also to Taylor's home because she had been recently seen with Shad. Well, when they got to Taylor's home, they found her with dried blood on her black sweatshirt and smeared blood on her hands. Okay, this, I need to stop right here. I need to warn people. I'm going to get pretty graphic. If you don't want to hear the graphic nature of this next part, maybe go forward about three minutes. But I feel like to understand where this trial is going, you kind of need to hear these graphic details. But here's your warning, go forward if you don't want to hear it. Okay, when the police show up at Taylor's house, um, they search her car. They find a crock pot with human remains. And court documents also say that 
Shad's legs were discovered inside the vehicle as well. Now, when asked what had happened, when police asked her that, Taylor said, well, that's a good question. She also told police they were going to have fun trying to find all the organs from Shad's body. Now, police contend that following the strangling, Taylor, for the next several hours, dismembered Shad systematically in the basement of his mother's home. She left his severed head in a bucket along with his genitals. And Shad's torso was also found stuffed in a storage tote along with a carving knife and some of the rest of his organs. Now, during the initial discovery, Taylor said she blacked out after she strangled Shad and that she could only remember portions, but she did admit that the bread knife worked best while dismembering his body. So she could remember that detail, apparently. She also asked detectives if they knew what it was like to love something so much that you have to kill it. Okay, Taylor's been charged with first-degree intentional homicide and third-degree sexual abuse, as well as mutilating a corpse. And she's being held on a $2 million bail. And upon her initial arrest, attorney Quinn Jolly was actively trying to defend Taylor, even saying to the press that she suffered from bipolar disorder and that she had been receiving mental health treatments since she was in seventh grade. But his ability to aid his client ended on February 14th when Taylor attacked her attorney in a court hearing that was determining her competency to stand trial for Shad's murder. Okay, coincidentally, February 14th, that's Taylor and her husband Warren's wedding anniversary. Remember the husband she was totally committed to until she wasn't anymore? Okay, so side note, she also has his name tattooed on her neck. Now, it was during this hearing when the judge was actually looking for a future trial date because he had already granted the defense request to push the trial date back for mental evaluation. What was during that hearing that Taylor lunged at her attorney before being subdued by a Brown County Sheriff's deputy. And attorney Quinn Jolly then removed himself from her case and she was assigned a new attorney, Christopher Froelich. Well, Taylor's gruesome trial started this week after a judge determined her to be competent and that she could stand trial. And on Tuesday, as Taylor's attorney was asking the court if the jury will review photos of Shad's severed head in the bucket, Taylor's being, like she's being really coy. She kept side-eyeing her attorney, almost smirking during the comments that her attorney is making. And then eventually... She leans forward and she laughs out loud while they're talking about Shad's severed head in the bucket. Now, the jury did end up viewing pictures of the severed head in the bucket while they heard testimony from the Dane County Medical Examiner, Dr. Vincent Tranchita. Now, in the ME's testimony, he verified that it would have taken Taylor hours to dismember the body. He said Taylor would have had to cut through the abdomen and between the ribs to individually remove the organs one by one. Well, there's obviously more to come in this trial, but let's answer some questions. So what about Warren, the husband? Well, remember, he's locked up in prison, but he wrote the following on his Facebook page. And I'm going to read it. It's in his words, kind of choppy, but this is what he said. My wife might be locked up for a long time, if not life, But what the world slash community don't understand is my release date is soon. Either way, my prayers go out to my wife, Taylor Shabusiness. She needs help mentally, 
Brown County Jail and the Brown County Circuit Courts are failing at understanding this, nor do they even care. Yes, what she's being accused of is serious, but this doesn't change the fact that she still has rights and she still has family slash people that love her no matter what her situation might be. Hopefully soon, the courts slash jail will realize she needs help. People like to be nosy. I get that. People judge. I get that too. It's what this world does and will continue to do. Either way, I stand behind my wife and I will forever stand behind her. Forever. I know what she's being accused of is not who she is. Not only has her addiction played a big role, but so does her mental background as well as postpartum depression. I just want my wife to get help, professional help, because it's what she deserves. Like I said, my prayers go out to my wife. I love her more than anything in this world, and this will never change no matter what. All right. He then followed that up with this. Hashtag, I love you, baby boo. Hashtag, free Taylor shabusiness. Hashtag, free Warren shabusiness. Hashtag, shabusiness. And then there's a typo. I think he was supposed to type empire. Not sure. But it reads hashtag shabusiness, emp, no matter what. I don't know, whatever that means. Now, Taylor does suffer from some unfortunate instances in her life, and we shouldn't overlook that. Her mother died from alcoholism at age 41, and then her brother died in a motorcycle accident in 2022. She was raised by her father's parents starting at age 11, and she's been in mental counseling since she was 12. Okay, so we we talked about Warren, followed up on Taylor, but what about Shad, the victim in this? Well, his obituary says that he enjoyed camping, games, and spending time with his family. The write-up also shared that Shad was a talented artist who enjoyed wood carving. He survived by his mother, father, two sisters, and a brother. And I can't even begin to imagine the nightmares that his mother must regularly endure. Now Taylor's trial is expected to wrap up next week, and I'll keep you updated as more becomes available. All right, moving on. I've been kind of dreading bringing you this update out of Alabama concerning missing, then found, Carly Russell. Now this one is tough because When I brought you the story almost two weeks ago, me, you, and thousands of others were truly worried about Carly, and we were praying for her safe return. Well, we got the safe return, which me, you, and thousands are grateful for, but it wasn't a return with honesty. And so I got to give you the update. Here's the details. Let's hear the story. On Monday, Hoover Police Chief Nick Durzies shared a statement provided by Carly's lawyer, Emery Anthony. In the statement, Carly admits to fabricating the entire story. So here's how the initial story developed. Carly was supposed to be picking up dinner for her and her mother at a Greek restaurant. Carly did make that stop and she got the food. But Carly made another stop that the family was initially unaware of. Bank records show that she visited a big box store to pick up snacks. Well, as Carly's returning to her mother's home, she phones 911 to say that she spotted a toddler on the side of the highway walking alone. Now, she told 911 that she would stop and attend to the toddler if they would send help. She then called her brother's girlfriend and she relayed the exact same story. However, 
In the phone call, family could hear Carly ask someone, and everyone presumed that she was asking the toddler, if they were okay. Then Carly screams, and the phone call stays active, but family doesn't hear from Carly again. Now, law enforcement arrived shortly after that phone call, and they find Carly's red Mercedes still running with the door open, her purse and the takeout food were inside the car, her phone and wig were on the ground outside of the car, but there was no sign of Carly, no sign of a toddler, and no sign of the snacks she purchased. Now, over the next 49 hours, Carly's story captured national attention, and over $63,000 was donated locally to Crime Stoppers of Metro Alabama to help aid in the recovery of Carly. It was in the late evening hours, just over two days later, that Carly mysteriously showed up knocking at her mother's door. And family told media outlets that Carly was immediately rushed to the hospital for evaluation, but she was released just a short time later. They also said Carly had been kidnapped by a man with orange hair. She had been placed in an 18-wheel big rig. She said eventually her captors made her undress and she believed they took pictures of her naked body, but that she remained blindfolded during the whole ordeal. Now, her mother even appeared on the Today Show last week where she said she absolutely believed Carly's abductor was still out there. She also said there were moments where Carly fought for her life, both physically and mentally. Now, during the 49 hours that Carly was missing, video of the freeway was released showing Carly's Mercedes slowing to a stop on the side of the road. And this confused me and probably confused you how she didn't immediately stop if she is seeing a wandering child. It took Carly 600 yards to slow completely and then exit her vehicle. Now, I'm a mom and a grandma, and there wouldn't be 600 yards of real estate between me and a toddler in danger of being killed by a fast-moving car. Now, police were also wary of Carly's story because no other 911 calls came in about a wandering toddler on a busy freeway. And investigators also discovered that just prior to her staged disappearance, Carly had searched information about the movie Taken, as well as logistics behind an Amber Alert, and also one-way bus tickets. They also discovered that Carly had taken earlier in the day a robe and toilet paper from her job at a spa. All right, here's how the statement from Carly, read by her attorney, went. Okay, here's the words. My client has given me permission to make the following statement on her behalf. There was no kidnapping on July 13th, 2023. My client did not see a baby on the side of the road. My client did not leave the Hoover area when she was identified as a missing person. My client did not have any help in this incident, but this was a single act done by herself. My client apologizes for her actions to the community the volunteers who were searching for her, to the Hoover Police Department and other agencies, as well as to her family and friends. We ask for your prayers for Carly as she addresses her issues, and she intends to move, understanding that she made a mistake. Carly again asks for your forgiveness and prayers. Now, Carly is yet to be charged with any crimes, but according to former criminal defense attorney Eric Guster, the search for Carly consumed resources and time of both law enforcement and concerned community members. He said she could be charged with lying to police, theft, and filing a false report. 
And I want to say again, that having Carly safely home is the best outcome we could have hoped for. That doesn't mean we have to be happy with the pathway to that outcome. Now, if charges are filed in this case, I will let you know. All right, finally, let's get caught up on a missing persons case out of Wisconsin. 13-year-old James Yolinski is the oldest of four children and also has three step-siblings. On the night of June 11th, James' father, Bill, says he saw his son. Well, the next morning, James was missing. Now, Bill didn't report him missing for just a couple of hours, and my guess is he was probably trying to track the 13-year-old down. But police were already moving on the case because the family's Chrysler van had been discovered abandoned on the side of Highway 12. Now, this area where the, the van was left, it's just north of the town of Sumter. And some quick research on a Wisconsin map shows this would be about 25 minutes-ish drive from his home in Reedsburg, Wisconsin. So 13-year-old driving for about 25 minutes. And the location of the abandoned vehicle, well, it's important because presumably James left the van there to hike a short distance into Devil's State Park. And no, I'm not glossing over the fact that James is 13 and took the family van that is now abandoned. I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up in rural Idaho and two friends and I borrowed my friend's grandma's car to go visit some boys once. And we were 13. But James is alone and unaccounted for. And James didn't just take the van. He also took a firearm out of the home, two survivalist books, and some clothes and items to sustain himself for several days in the wilderness. Now, over the next couple of days, worried family and community members aided in the search for James in the dense forest areas. James wasn't found, despite Bill and law enforcement's best efforts that included 10 canine units, two airplanes, and a Black Hawk helicopter. Now, in an interview, Bill told ABC WKOW that he just hopes James knows that they love him. Well, here, I'm going to let you listen to a portion of that interview. I hope he knows that we love him and we just want him home and safe. You know, he's not in trouble. I just want him home. All I'm concerned about right now is getting James back. My other two kids are with Grandma, and my one son is with me. He refused to go to Grandma's. He said, I'm staying with you, Dad. Okay, it didn't take long after the first initial search of Devil's State Park for investigators to find an abandoned campsite they believed to have been used by James. Then a day later, another campsite was found, as well as James' cell phone. After the campsite discoveries... And talking with James' father, Bill, investigators determined that James is attempting to live off the grid. The South County Sheriff's Office, Lieutenant Stephen Schramm, said the department has determined that the profile of James leads them to believe he's acting with intention. Now, upon developing this intention theory, the department reevaluated the attempts to find James. So instead of deploying search groups, law enforcement is now going to rely on sightings from others and then target the areas where signs of James are discovered. So in other words, a more active response by law enforcement will commence if a sighting of James is reported. They also said that investigators would be less visible 
because they fear that the threat of seeing law enforcement could push James further away and into areas he's not so familiar with. It's also important to note that searching this area, it's just not easy. It's very dense forested area. Two officers were hurt in the initial searches because of the treacherous terrain. All right, six weeks is a long time to be missing at 13 years old. And Bill is getting more and more worried for his son because no new leads have been discovered in the last three weeks. On Monday, Bill upped the ante by offering a $10,000 reward for the safe return of his son, James. Now he's securing the reward money by taking a loan out on his house. And Bill, via Facebook and his various interviews, well, he's asking anyone, begging actually, anyone with information to contact the Sauk County Sheriff's Office at 608-355-4495. All right, James is 5 feet 11 inches tall with a slim build. He weighs about 120 pounds. He has a half-inch scar on the back of his neck. And if you know anything, I'm going to share that number again. It's 608-355-4495. All right, that's your Thursday edition of Rise in Crime. I want to offer a big thank you for showing so much love on the various platforms. And I also absolutely appreciate the five-star ratings and reviews. It helps me so much grow this podcast and help the true crime community. Please check in with me on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. I absolutely love to hear your case suggestions. I want to talk about what you want to talk about. Join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there.